From Sacramento, the Bishop's Radio Hour with Bob Dunning, focusing on today's issues in the context of gospel values. Now, here's Bob Dunning on Relevant Radio. That's me. Welcome to you on this beautiful day the Lord has made. Appreciate you all being with us on the Bishop's Hour. Indeed, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And we're rejoicing and glad that Julie Slide joins us right here in in person. Pull that microphone a little closer there. Okay. Julie's uh, facing the uh, gold mic. There you go. Oh. There you go. Not not platinum? Not platinum. Okay. Oh, more? A little bit. Wow, I'm right on top of it. Okay, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Julie is the editor of the Catholic Herald magazine, which is about to come out. Um, Yes, well, we just went to press with our... um, September October yes. issue, which has the theme of respect life. Right. So um, October being respect life month. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, so we have some very interesting stories, and I'll just run through them. Yes. How about that? Yeah, that's okay. Great. So our cover story is about um, family from Holy Spirit Parish here in Sacramento, right. Jonathan. Uh, Sonia and Ella Bray. Mm-hmm. Ella is their daughter, who I believe is in second grade mm-hmm. at Holy Spirit School, which has started this week. And um, they had um, something happen in their lives, uh, and we were very um, fortunate. It's not an easy uh, discussion to have, but they lost a, a child, another daughter, earlier this year. And um, they um, had to work through everything and with their own daughter and that. And so um, they were willing to tell their story to Lynette Magnino, one of our writers. And um, it uh, rehaps uh, when they were from February this year, uh, they were going to have the baby shower for the new little Earl, Janessa Bray. And... Um, uh, Sonia was going to have her maybe around mid-March, and uh, they were in a welcome, their, another daughter to their growing family. And when they were going to the shower, um, Sonia felt a lot of pain and discomfort at what well, was out, actually at the shower. And, but she didn't mention it to anyone, but then she, on the way home, they continue, she continued to have worsening pain. So she and assumed it was... She was before birth. Yeah, right. she was eight months along. Right. right, And she assumed that she was having early contractions. So they went to their um, the hospital, and unfortunately their provider hospital didn't have room for them that day. So they oh were turned away to another hospital. We're not mentioning any names. I don't know right. what name, what hospital it was. Anyway, uh, they went in the ER room, and the doctor um, returned after an ultrasound and just said um, that the baby uh, had been dead. Oh, my god! And gosh. so, um, oh. yeah. So wow. they had a, a lot of, you know, things to deal with and, and move through. So um, the baby was 37 weeks which was considered full-term by medical professionals. Um, 
loss after 20 weeks is described as a stillbirth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while loss occurring before 20 weeks is known as miscarriage. So uh, this is the first time I believe we've had a story in our magazine with a family willing to share their loss of a baby. Obviously, it's a very difficult thing to talk about. Um, Jonathan, the father, says it was so, so hard. We had to lean on each other a lot. Um, uh, There was a hospital chaplain there who offered them comfort, and um, a hospital staff member brought in baby Janessa, and together with the chaplain, they prayed over the baby, and that gave them a lot of comfort. Um, so they saw the baby and, um, they were, she, Sonia was in the hospital for four days and, uh, luckily they have a lot of family and friends who helped them during this time. And they also were, um, comforted and assisted by fellow kindergarten parents, parents and Holy Spirit school. And they had a group chat with the parents to let them know the news and how Ella, their classmate, was doing. So um, Sonia says, we wanted other parents to know so they could talk to their own children. Uh, and also, the other school families organized a meal train, signing up to prepare meals for the Bray family so they didn't have to worry about cooking for a while. And um, a family member also set up an online GoFundMe page to help with funeral expenses Mm -hmm. as well as the Knights of Columbus helped them with some of the expenses. And um, also um, they were counseled and and had meetings with Father Loretto Rojas, the pastor of Holy Spirit, which was very helpful. Father Bong, as we call him. Yeah, Father Bong. And so um, several weeks before the funeral in mid-March, they also met with Steve Patton, who's one of the family service advisors Mm -hmm. at Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services. And he was also our Respect Life Ministries director here prior to that for about 10 years. And so um, they were very fortunate that Jonathan's uncle gifted them a place in the family crypt in the mausoleum at St. Mary's Cemetery. So they didn't have to worry about trying to find a place for Janessa to be buried. And um, and so Janessa is in a space above Jonathan's grandmother in the crypt. And Jonathan th- says, it took away a lot of stress. Um, and it, they were relieved that they Choosing a location was not required, only a refocusing of their minds on life everlasting. And, um, of course, they worked through everything with Ella. Uh, Father Bond delivered the homily at the funeral mass. Um, So, Jonathan says it's taken them many months, but he says, I'm not even questioning it anymore. Uh, and he tries to learn from this and see how it makes us all stronger as a family and closer to God. Uh, as the months have gone by, Sonia says it's easier to talk about, but I still have my moments. Um, Jonathan says I'm an emotional guy, and he emphasizes their need to be there for each other and help one another through this grieving. 
So they feel, well, obviously, they will never forget knowing that uh, their baby forever changed their lives. And then we have a sidebar story with Steve Patton, uh, how he walked with the Bray family during their time of loss. So we hope this will be something that we know many, many families go through miscarriage, go through um, having a stillborn baby. So, um, you know. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad you had the sidebar on Steve Patton as well, because first off, the the Brays are so so you know very brave mm -hmm. to tell their story and and uh, sort of relive it, and because they know they know it will help others, but also Steve Patton is a very decent, compassionate man, mm -hmm. and um, they're very lucky that uh, and and Father Father Bong Rojas as well, you know, yes. and it, both of them mentioned prominently in this story, uh, Steve in a sidebar to the story, um, they, were in, they were in good hands in a very, very difficult situation. Well, interesting, Steve says um, uh, the, um, how they weren't at, at Hatlet Funeral and Cemetery Services, it's sort of a rotation process among advisors that assigns client families as needs arise to the next available advisor. But Steve also added, so very often it is the Holy Spirit at work in determining who it's assigned to whom. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, and of course, Steve um, um, I, and his wife, Bridget, I believe, have gone through yes. perhaps more than one miscarriage. I can't remember. They were in our magazine several years ago about their story about adopting their three children. So he's someone obvious who could relate, have a personal experience of the same thing that the Braves were going through. So um, something not, uh, well, I, I think it is a, a something, having not been gone through pregnancy myself, I can't relate, but um, certainly something that um, yet adults many of them young families experience and they don't always uh, know who to turn to to help them get right. through the grieving process right. right and so another thing we want to mention is that bishop soto uh, will be celebrating a memorial mass for the unborn on saturday november 4th at 9 a.m in the chapel of saint mary's cemetery yeah, circle and date, funeral fourth. Um, and that's located at 6509 Fruit Ridge Road in Sacramento. So it's for families, friends, um, anyone who's gone through a type of loss like this. And um, it's being sponsored by the Office of Family and Faith Formation and Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services. So um, if you want more uh, information on that, we do have a page on the website, scd.org forward slash mass for unborn 2023. And you can find more information and resources there. Um, something that's not uncommon these days, and I don't know what the statistics are, but we do know that there's certainly a lot of families that um, are having children maybe at an older age. Right. 
right. than decades past. Right. You know, I don't know what the average age is, but we certainly see um, women having children throughout their 30s. Some yeah, have them even, even in, in their early, early 40s. 40s. It might be a little bit more high risk depending on your health situation and, and all of that and, right. and different things. But um, I also read an article recently, too, that, um, uh, and I don't know the science on this or anything, but, you know, some people do postpone, and then they find out that they can't oh, maybe yeah. oh, have. So then you have people turning to other artificial, right? you know, there's in vitro, of course, we know, you know, what the church teaching is right. regarding that. But I think there are other things to of course a lot of um uh couples have success with natural family planning and i'm you know you've talked about that a lot on the, yeah, the fact, show you know when you and, mentioned that uh, my wife shelly when we had our last child uh she was 40 uh-huh had just turned 40 yeah and uh, of course sometimes doctors <laughs> they they the, the one thing that, that kind of distressed us is uh I think it was with all pregnancies, but but uh, especially the last one that when she, when she first found out she was pregnant, said, "Oh well, we need to send you in for genetic testing." Oh, is and that the amniocentesis? Is, which is code code for if there's something wrong. Oh oh, we'll abort. Is and, that the know. amnio thing yeah, or oh? Yeah. Well, that's that's I, one at thing. that time because this is 18 years ago. Yeah. Um, uh, he he is now 18. Yeah, uh, and. At that time, that that was probably the most common, the the amnio, which even the amnio had a fatality rate. Sure. Not for the baby, not necessarily for yeah. the mom, and uh, you'd have you'd have a good reason, no matter where you were on the other issue, uh, right. to, to not do it. But and uh, Shelly just said, "Well, I, you know, I don't want genetic testing, not not yeah. not because of the threat to the baby or herself, uh, right? Know, uh, but because." whatever whatever god has planned god has planned mm-hmm. oh, and we we certainly don't want somebody to say well your child is going to have this or that right. and, and then that pressure to to well the smart thing to do is to abort mm-hmm. you know um i mean we wouldn't have i mean we wouldn't even consider that option yeah. no, no matter what but that right. was that was really the only reason for there's no reason to genetically test you no, I suppose, and they I didn't even have parent, that years ago, didn't yeah, they? Oh, years and years ago they did. Yeah, but but um, I suppose, I suppose, parents, I it, it could help a parent uh, who to know that their child was going to have a a disability of some kind, mm-hmm. uh, maybe to to know ahead of time so that they could plan for that kind of thing, or even psychologically right. prepare themselves for that kind of thing. But um, usually the reason they're sending it for genetic testing is not a good one, mm-hmm. in, in our minds at least. Yeah. 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 And uh, I mean, I, I'm sure the church doesn't object specifically to, to genetic testing if, if you're doing it just to learn about the baby. Right. But, uh, right. So many people, as, as we know, especially with Down syndromes, they get, they get the, the diagnosis in vitro and they abort. Yeah. And that's just that just wasn't on the table for us. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't know if um, 
Yeah, it doesn't. It, of course, they. You know, we wanted to respect their privacy right. here in the in the story. So, um, uh, but they didn't. You know, we don't know the exact reason why right. that. A lot of times, the baby dies in the womb. Or, Thirty-seven weeks is yeah. That's yeah. Basically, full term. Right. Right. Yeah, that's very sad. Very so sad. we want to thank the Bray family. I hope this is. Um, uh, article that people will enjoy. I'm sure a lot of people will relate to and, it. And, and, you know, as Steve emphasized to him, and I'm sure Father yeah. Bong and, and, and their own, just their own faith within themselves, that this is a daughter, Janessa, that they will see again. Right. You know, and that gives us all hope and mm-hmm. joy. Yeah. As, as difficult uh yeah. as difficult as that clearly is. I should also mention too that Catholic um funeral and cemetery services they have now in the Braves case they had a family member who um said, you know, let's put Janessa in the mm-hmm. family crypt. Right. And that but uh they do work with the families. They have um Part of their charitable works, uh, their ministry, is what's called the Holy Angels Lawn. Mm-hmm. And that's a dedicated area at St. Mary's Cemetery for infant and child deaths up to the age of 12. Since these deaths are often unexpected, Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services helps accommodate families, upholding dignity and respect for life. So... Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're very, they were in very So good there's place. a special place there at St. Mary's. I think they have the same thing too at Calvary. Uh-huh. Yeah. So. And we also have, uh, for people that want to know, all souls in the Volio area. Right. 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 So uh, another story I want to mention is um, one uh, about one of our own staff members here at the diocese who I'm. I think you've had probably on the radio program before, Laura Lynn Solano. Oh, wow. Yeah. Many times. Yes. I just have such admiration for the work she does. So um, I knew a little bit about Laura Lynn's background, but I didn't know fully about this story. And she was gracious enough. I had sort of put out feelers saying we'd like to do a story about um, someone who... Uh, has had an abortion and and then moved past that with healing and um, and so she came to me and said that she was willing to tell her story to our readers. So uh, again, another sensitive topic. This is when you sit down with this magazine, you might want to have a little tissue yeah. with you. <laughs> I'm. Uh, we have some tear jerkers yeah. in here. So, um, Lynn, the headline is, I've been in the darkest of places. Laura Lynn contemplates God's life-giving mercy and grace. And she says, um, so um, she actually says she's has had, prior to her working in ministry, she had a lot of personal anguish, repeated crises, contradiction, and hopelessness. Then she said, that's why I got involved in ministry, because I experienced the mercy of God, and my biggest desire is to connect people to that 
and to form them in a way that they can see the richness and beauty of our faith. And so years have gone by since her most traumatic um, events in her life, and, and part of that was why the reason she that kind of compelled her to share her story with our readers. She says, God is so good, and it's never too late in life to turn to him, to grow and to cooperate with his grace. His grace may not always be able to flow through us because of our sin, but he is still there. Time cannot hinder the love of God. So this is um, written by Lynette Magnino again. And I like her subheads here. Chapter one in Lynn's life. If I could mess it up, I would. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so she's 45 today, Lynn. She's actually wife and mother of four. But um, she, her early life was very um, perforated with difficult situations, risky choices. She points to, she said something she wrote in her younger years was, I, if I could mess it up, I would. I started off life very messed up. Um, she says she didn't have a lot of self-worth. Uh, she felt a lot of pressure as a youth and teenager. She grew up near Travis Air Force Base, helping to take care of her siblings, while her immigrant parents worked often multiple jobs to make ends meet. She shares the challenges of her Filipino household, strandling, Philippine, strandling the American culture, but still living Filipino values and experiences. This is very true of a lot of people her age who were up here in the U.S., but had parents that were still very much immersed in the uh, culture, you know, right. their parents. Are we running out of time? No, we're no. Just... Okay, I can't see if the DA is waving arms behind me or not. <laughs> okay, so um, she shares. He has a long hook. Does he? Okay, he's in a hook my neck. So yeah. that's in. I didn't really know which world I was living in. She admits. So when she was fourteen or fifteen, she recalls an encounter with Jesus while participating in a Catholic youth-focused charismatic movement. She said, I felt so full of the Spirit. She said, Jesus, I love you so much, I will never forsake you. So she felt that she was emptying herself to Jesus. She met her first boyfriend as a high school sophomore, and he provided some stability and love. Or she says, what I thought was love. She barely graduated from high school, and she became pregnant at age 18. She was frightened, unemployed, and coming to the ultimatum from her boyfriend, she found herself at Planned Parenthood proceeding with an abortion. I fell deeper into depression, and I remember praying and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please give me another chance, and I won't mess it up. She prayed to God. In her heart, she knew she needed to end her relationship with her high school sweetheart, who went on to enroll at UC San Diego. She wanted a life of faith, but she believed I needed to stay with him. So she had a lot of contradictions Indeed. going on Indeed. within herself. Um, she agonized over his emotional abuse and his lack of commitment, yet within a year she was pregnant again. 
following threats from her boyfriend and attempted suicide and tense arguments with their mother, she carried the baby to birth. And that is her daughter, Alexandria, now who I believe is about 24, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And um, at that time when she delivered the baby, her boyfriend came around wanting to do his part. Um, and she thought, thought that was a sign of hope. She said, I thought, I guess, I thought we were moving forward. Um, and he insisted that maybe Alexandria saved his life. But now, um, uh, her boyfriend then returned to school. Laura Lynn began a job with United Airlines and allowed for frequent visits so he could visit their baby. But, she says any effort to salvage their long-distance relationship see, seemed plagued by his indifference. Uh, Laurelyn shares that she was still very depressed on antidepressants, became pregnant two more times, terminated each pregnancy, and attempted suicide once again. Wow. I still love God, she said, but I had messed up so much already, I felt like I was going to hell anyway. And she says, at times I was living in hell. I was mad at God that he wouldn't let me end it. Um, But her baby, Alexandria, helped her stay alive. So when she was 24, Laura Lynn recalls her parents' new involvement in the charismatic movement and nice memories came back to her from her own involvement as a youth. She said there was a particular speaker who later became her spiritual director, taught her about the divine indwelling, introducing Lynn to contemplative prayer. She learned of God's presence inside, and no matter how many times we turn away, God is still there. Um, so she went kind of through a spiritual revival and, and aiming peace. Um, she describes a surreal evening when five-year-old Alexandria came into her bedroom and very seriously said to her, Mommy, you need to make a decision if you want to love God or if you want to date Daddy. <laughs> wow. Wisdom out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> wow. So um, anyway, um, she decided to go through some changes. She left behind her troubled and harmful relationship with her boyfriend she left behind her medications and her job that seemed to contradict her revived faith. She says, I went to adoration as much as I could, and I contemplated as much as I could. And she became particularly attached to the writings of St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. I really felt like I was in a, I had been in a dark, dark pool, and there was a ray of light coming through. She looks back and recognizes how God's love, the church, the sacraments, and the community around her strengthened and supported her healing journey. Then they had the tragic news that her daughter's father had been murdered in a drug deal. I believe that was in Fairfield, I think. 
Um, so she moved with her, fa- her parents and her daughter, Alexandria, to West Sacramento to try and start anew. Eventually, she became um, the religious ed director at Our Lady of Grace in West Sacramento, in West Sacramento. got into a lot of things with ministry. A beautiful little yeah, church. Yeah, and we have a beautiful picture here of that she provided me with Lynn with her daughter, Alexandria. Who's a tremendous wrestler. Yes, her yeah. daughter went to Christian Brothers and um, has placed uh, before in the World Wrestling Championships and is She's married hope, now and hope, yeah, living up by Oregon State, I, I believe, in Corvallis and, yeah. and training and hoping to make the women's wrestling squad i believe in the summer olympics right for next year yeah yeah her yeah, daughter's she's a, she's a fantastic a, athlete she's a force of nature yeah 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 laura lynn says there are always going to be hard parts of life but we have to humble ourselves to accept what god and the church offer so today what a turn around in somebody's life Today, Laura Lynn and her husband, Jason, who actually works as liturgy coordinator at Catholic Funeral and Cemetery Services, so they both work in ministry, um, are nearing their 20th wedding anniversary. They call Our Lady of Grace Parish in West Sac, their spiritual home. Together, amid their own ups and downs, they are convinced that Jesus has been with us the whole time. Grace has always been in our lives, but we have learned to cooperate with it now. And they have three children in addition to Alexandria, Jalen, Jason Jr., and Janessa. They're into the J's on their <laughs> well, last a... children there. And I know she just posted something today. Um, I don't recall the, I think maybe it's Jalen that's her oldest. Let's see. I have to look at the photo here. Um, Janessa Jalen is her old, or second oldest daughter, and she started her senior year at, at St. Francis oh, wonderful. High School. Wonderful. High School, as I saw Lynn post a picture today saying, Where'd the time go? Julie, so, those are. I know, the tear issue. I don't stories. know if I planned it that way, but it came out that way. <laughs> Hopefully, we can get you back on to discuss okay. the rest of this beautiful Catholic yeah. world. So, people should receive this the first week of September. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Great. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks so, much. so much. We had a chance to uh, sit down with Deacon uh, Greg McAvoy Jensen to talk about the the Mass, the various parts of our wonderful, wonderful catholic mass and we have we've brought you that we've had four parts of sitting down with deacon greg and we brought you the first two parts and today we will bring you part three of the mass with deacon greg mcavoy jensen pleased to welcome in deacon greg mcavoy jensen deacon good to have you with us and it's great to be back in our series here on our the mass, series yes to I, a close and you you brought the wonderful book again yeah, the Roman Missal the can't Roman go, missile. can't leave home without that if yes. we're going to be talking about liturgy. Uh, if you carry it under one arm, it will be uh, stronger than the other arm. You'll, you'll, you'll <laughs> grow to be lopsided. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you'll have Popeye arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, good, good to see you. Um, we we've uh, we're running this series of uh, uh, about the Mass, and now we're. Uh, I think we just we, we're 
going to talk about posture communion and things like that to, right. to begin with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We were right in the middle of uh, talking about re- the reception right. of Holy Communion right. in our last uh, meeting. So this time, uh, as people come up for communion, uh, you know, the the norm for receiving communion now in the Latin Church is to, to stand. We don't uh, refuse people who kneel. They have right. that individually, but that's not the uh, the norm. The norm right. is standing and uh, with a head bow, not right. a not a bow at the waist, but just a, a mm-hmm. head bow, so mm-hmm. you're not hitting the person in front of you right, if they're right. still uh, moving out of the <laughs> right. way or clanking into the the communion holding the vessel, or the vessel holding the communion, but sim- a simple head bow bending at the neck as we receive uh, communion. And uh, the minister, of course, is saying the body of Christ or right. the blood of Christ. It may be interesting to note that they don't say this is the body mm-hmm. of Christ, mm-hmm. even though that's part of what they're uh, implying right. in, in that statement. Did we cover this already? Maybe we did. No, I don't um, think so. Okay. Yeah. But it, they're also, I mean, also implied in that statement is an action, right? Receive the right. body of Christ. It's right. not just something for you to see. Right. Uh, it's something for you to receive as a gift from God the Father. Right. And uh, But it, it, it even implies more than that. It's really also saying, uh, it's a reminder um, of, of our a challenge to us, the invitation to us to become right. the body of Christ. Right. Uh, and further, uh, when they say the body of Christ, it also really means uh, it, it recalls our baptism mm-hmm. and our core identity already. Right. You know, you are the body of Christ. Right. So uh, all of that comes together in this sacred moment of communion, communion with uh, the Lord Jesus, communion with the Holy Trinity, and, and communion with one another as we're gathered there in the church throughout the world and throughout time. It's, uh, and it's, we, it's we're, hard to hold it all in mind. It, it is really, you know, it's so it's so overwhelming really and and just recently we're we're back to having the chalice exactly and, yes uh, um you know this wasn't the first time that happened very frequently during the flu season we'd we'd see it uh, they were only going to and the bishop had a good piece um about uh both you know both speed both bread and wine and uh blood, body and blood and that either or is complete, but doing both is even be- even better, if you will. Yeah, uh, and and we can talk more about com- more complete somehow. Yeah. So so we can talk about that in terms of what it is. Mm-hmm. So either one in and of itself is uh, Christ. So right. uh, there's no there's no problem. And if someone for any reason is uncomfortable or medically unable to receive both then they uh, can rest in confidence knowing that either one, either one. Uh, right. has, has brought them the, the fullness um, of the sacramental presence of Christ. But liturgy affects us. Liturgy forms us. And it does so through the, uh, many different ways, but uh, including it, it included in that is the symbolic, is the power of the use of symbols. So mm-hmm. when we say this is the blood of the covenant, that sinks in in a different way sure. if you're going to receive from that blood of right. the covenant. Uh, and so it's, yes, the, the, the fullness of the symbol affects how we are formed by the liturgy. Right. So that's the benefit, I think. Really. Right. And, you know, it, it, it is interesting that, you, you know, you use this, the term symbol because there's that, that we, we see the Pew Research and all these, these polls and things saying how many people believe this is the real presence, how many believe it's a symbol, it can be both. It definitely is the real body and blood of Christ, but it, it also is symbolic of that in terms of 
of it goes back to the Last Supper, of course, and 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 it, it's an it's it's unfortunate. I, I, I sometimes think these polls are unfortunate uh, yeah. um, because it's really not up for debate. It it is what it is, no matter what you believe. <laughs> it is the body and blood of Christ, whether you don't think it is, uh, but and. The, the Eucharistic, you know, revival, um, I think, is a wonderful, wonderful thing ongoing now. And I, I know that's not the only reason we're doing it, but hopefully that will let people know. I mean, I, I you know, I can have that discussion with my own children, you know, say, and if they, if they think I don't believe it, they're probably not going to believe it. Mm, yeah. If they think, Gee, Dad and Mom, they really believe this. We better go a little deeper on this. That's right. You know? That's right. There's lots to learn about the real presence of yeah. what the church uh, means by that. Uh, right. And what you've said is very uh, precise. I think that we, uh, you know, Catholics always come back to this. And there's so much that we hold together right. at the same time: belief in uh, the in transubstantiation, belief right. in the fact that the uh, the the what were bread and wine have become the body and blood of Christ, and also the the belief that. Uh, the Eucharist works through the sign, the symbol mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that's present. If you open up your catechism to the section on the Eucharist, there's a whole section there on the sign mm-hmm. uh, and, and how that works. So all of that is true. So if, you, yeah, if we come upon a survey that says, is it, uh, is it the real presence uh, or is it a symbol, well, right. they're both have both. truth, yeah, so sure. it, it, it's not an either or. Just as you had said so well, so yeah, that, that's an important clarification. Yeah. But the fact that it's a symbol, uh, it's a different sort of symbol. It's the kind of sure. symbol that makes present what it represents. Most right. symbols, uh, like a uh, a red dot on your uh, water faucet <laughs> that indicates something hot, exactly right? uh, that represents and it and it has a connection to it you know it's sure. like fire hot okay sure. i get it so that's how symbols work yes so that's good but the red doesn't bring you hot water no, it's not right. the red that does it in <laughs> this right. case in the case of the eucharist it actually it makes is. present what it yeah. symbolizes or god 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 does that work and it's so it's so you know I, I, we, we we all can run that question through our mind and uh, uh you just go back to the words of christ they're pretty clear Right. This this is my body. Um, I guess you could say, well, do this in remembrance of me. And you could kind of say, see, it's a symbol. Well, but even there, but even there, we're um, talking about memory in a in a technical sort of sense. Uh, uh, Anamnesis or anamnesis is a a way of uh, remembering something that happened in the past that also joins us to that event. So in Eucharist, we have to remember, too, we're not simply talking about uh, uh, Christ um, in the abstract, we're talking especially about being joined to his passion, right. his death, and his resurrection, right. that that becomes something that we become sharers in. So we join together under the cross at the Lord's table of sacrifice and uh, join with him right. in, in his passion through the Eucharist. All that is happening as we bow and say amen and receive together. Right. So when I when I was a kid, of course, um, several decades ago, uh, we would all kneel around the communion rail, mm-hmm. and and the priest would come, and only the priest at that time would come and 
distribute Holy Communion and only on the tongue. And at some point that all changed, uh, presumably Vatican II. You'd think um, I would have this distinct memory of <laughs> when that changed, even going from Latin to, to English, when that changed. Like one day, whoa, what happened here? But I don't have a distinct memory of exactly when that was. It had to be, uh, you know, late 60s or mid to late 60s. Um, and now we, we pretty much stand. Like you say, you can kneel, but pretty much stand for the reception of Holy Communion. Yeah, the um, norm is to stand. The norm and is to stand. And that's what we teach. And it's uh, okay. You can still receive it on the tongue, or it's okay to receive it in the hand. Yes, and outside of something exceptional like a pandemic, that's totally up to the individual right. which they choose. Right. And that uh, that all a result of Vatican II, pretty much? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And, I mean, Vatican II, of course, going back to um, the early days of the Church as well. Sure. So it's not— sure. it's not, yeah. It's not uh, it's not innovation, yeah, right, you know. So right. this is uh, this is quite ancient. Yeah. And standing, of course, is is a symbol uh, not just of us now being kind of milling about aimlessly. Mm-hmm. We we stand together with the risen Christ. Right. It's the posture that joins us together right. with Him in His risen state, and right. that is how we meet Him uh, in the Eucharist. Wow, that's it's so powerful. I I remember hearing somebody once said if. If more people believed that this was the body and blood of Christ and what Christ did for us, they'd be crawling to church. They'd be on their hands and knees coming to church. Yeah. You know, I, I sometimes think we've all gotten a little bit too too casual. Yeah. You well, know. and that's, I think, part of why after receiving, com- after the community has all received communion and uh, the vessels have been put wherever they're going to be put and and that can uh there, there's a little bit of flexibility there the the cleaning of the vessels mm-hmm. the purification does not have to take place during the mass they can be set on the credence mm-hmm. table you know what's what re, what remains of the hosts uh right. can be consumed or if there are many then it can be sent to the tabernacle uh the remaining blood of christ uh, gets consumed uh and then um, there's not a there's not a separate heading in the ritual that says now is the great purification and all shall attend. It's not, it doesn't have that level Mm -hmm. of, uh, of importance relative to the other parts of the mass. Um, so it is something that yes, gets taken care of or can be taken care of right after mass and the vessels covered with a, with a cloth until then. And then after that, it is the time where we, um, can have some silence. Mm-hmm. So there can be a period of sacred silence. And I think of that just as what you were describing, a time uh, you were talking about people crawling because of right. uh, the awesomeness of what's right. av- available to them now. Here we sit perhaps stunned mm-hmm. by the intimacy that God has just shared with yeah. us. That yeah. here, here we are dining with the Trinity, you know, <laughs> what, what, it's, it, as, it, it, as Mary says, you know, um, how can this be? Yeah. It's just amazing. Well, I, I had a guest on last week talking about uh, the uh, adoration and saying, you know, I have all these times when I pray and when I read and when I, but she said, I just sit there with Jesus. I look at him, he looks at me. And I just got chills, like and he said, and just as you described the awesomeness of this. I mean, 
here I am, I'm uh, riding my bicycle to church, and I'm out there in the sun and the wind and everything, and I go in that room, one-on-one with God, with the creator of everything? It's it's more than I think the brain can handle. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. yeah. Yep. There's a prayer that's said silently by the, mm-hmm. the priest or the deacon uh, as they're purifying the vessels. Right. Uh, what has passed our lips is food, O Lord, may we possess in purity of heart, that what has been given to us in time may be our healing for eternity. Beautiful, beautiful yeah. and very ancient uh, prayer there about you know the mystery of what is transpiring there. And then, then um, the prayer after communion. Yes. So, and that's a, that's a very important piece. It's another of these uh, parts that's proper to the specific day or season. So it, it's uh, it's always got a character that matches the rest of the liturgy, uh, and it's a, a beautiful um, uh, brief prayer that the priest uh, leads us in, and it. Uh, it's important to have that it have the continuity with the reception of communion. So mm-hmm. it's important that there, instead of silence, it's possible to have you know a song, a hymn, a psalm, uh, something like that, something of praise to God, right. uh, following uh, the communion chant, the communion hymn, uh, which is to unify the whole communion right. rite actually, um, and the people who as they participate in it. So uh, a- after that period of silence or song, then we have this prayer that concludes that central to the Mass, communion uh, rite. So the, mm-hmm. the really our, um, the, uh, for most people, I think it's the most intense uh, right. uh, part of, of the Mass. So it's important that we not add other kind of extraneous things like the announcements or something uh-huh. like that uh-huh. before the prayer right. uh, after communion. But we, we join together and, and, and pray. After that, the communion rite has has now ended. So that's when we transition then uh, into announcements. But the the rites in multiple places say, if necessary. Right. right? So right. we're not we're not, yeah, we're not begging yes. for a lengthy right. litany of of uh, things that seem relatively petty compared to what right. we just celebrated. But yes, there there can be announcements, and that's the right time for them after the prayer. Uh, I, the I sometimes feel sorry for the person. Uh, who uh, maybe they're representing some group or something that we're going to meet, uh, you know, on Tuesday nights. So we want to, and uh, that they have to pop up at that point, you know, and and, and it's like, oh, you know, yeah. like we're we're back to the mundane. If you not, not in a a bad way, but yeah. it, it's uh, considering what has just happened, what has just taken place. Yeah. But but it fits in a it way fits, in yeah. the concluding rites because the concluding rites are like if we if we're if we're at a if you've watched the Olympics and it's time for the toboggan there's a place where they start yep. climbing into the thing right, <laughs> right they right. and then they start or they slide it back and forth a few times and then they start yep. climbing it that's what's happening here in the con- concluding rites there's a launching uh, that's taking right. place and so if part of what is happening is we're telling them about some of the things they're being being launched to right. events of the parish coming up sure that's fine it, it fits you know genre wise in that um it i mean it the the contrast certainly highlights the importance of that prayer after communion and the right. communion rite that it's uh, wrapping up you know it is it is different from that but it also has a a, a character of because we have received now we must go. Yeah. Now we are sent. So that's uh, that's then how the concluding rites uh, begin. Then and then we have the 
you know, that flow that what we're used to, the Lord be with you and with your spirit, that greeting. And then to get people ready, one last prayer over them, a blessing, mm-hmm. but a, a blessing in, in this time that is kind of a, a commissioning. I mean, right. there's no blessing greater than the Eucharist that we received. Sure. But I think in my mind, this isn't something that I've uh, found in the rites or whatever, but in, in my mind, at least, this prayer is one of, of launching, of uh, right. prepares us to be to be sent forth. So, um, and it can't, it, sometimes it's that simple, you know, may Almighty God bless you. But there are times of the year where we'll have either a solemn blessing mm-hmm. or a prayer over the people. And those have two different, two different flavors uh, to them. Uh, but, you know, they'll be Advent related or, you know, related to whatever, whatever it is. For um, the solemn blessing, that's mm-hmm. the longer one. You'll hear that bow down for the blessing mm-hmm. uh, directive, and we'll, we'll be bowed. And then there will be uh, three amens that we'll give. Right. And you're always, you know, we're always listening there to hear when the voice, because it, it's not a through Christ our Lord for each of right. these. They're, each one ends in its own unique way. And so we have to be able to <laughs> tune in and see when, when the, if, we, if we think the priest is really done or has he hit a comma. Because uh-huh, we don't yeah, want right. to say our amen or this comma, right? And yeah. some, of them, some of them do have that. And these are all addressed not to God, but to us, interesting. Mm-hmm. So uh, as you run the race of this present life, may he make you firm in faith, joyful in hope, and active in charity. So the priest is talking to us, asking, uh, telling us what the priest hopes God will do right. for us, essentially. And then at the end, and may, Almighty, and, the, and may the blessing of Almighty God. So that's the, the solemn blessings, which are three-part. And then we also have, instead of that, could be a prayer over the people. And here we are talking, the priest is speaking directly to God. So, for example, uh, may your family always rejoice together, O God, over the mysteries of redemption they have celebrated and grant its members the perseverance to attain the effects that flow from them. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. When, when would we be likely to hear that? So any... any uh, um, particular day like in Advent or Lent mm-hmm. or Easter or um, uh, Christmas season, sure. um, anything like that, yeah, solemnities. Um, I don't recall exactly the rules about when a prayer over the people can be used, but there are, there are lots of occasions when they can be used. And what about the, the solemn so, blessing? And, and same for the same, solemn same blessings, the yeah. Solemn. Yeah, and uh, they've got... Here's one for if you're having the dedication of a church or in mm-hmm. celebrations for the dead. Uh, if it's uh, different saints, there's one for the Blessed Virgin Mary, one for Saints Peter and Paul, and then set for ordinary time. So Sundays of ordinary time, uh, you could have um, uh, solemn blessings, one for the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. there, there are all kinds of uh, different types of solemn blessings. Well, so. And then... Uh, we get, we get ready to leave. Yeah. So the priest makes the sign of the cross over us in that final blessing. It might be for, for folks who are interested in, in the details and who are really interested in making sure they follow exactly what the rubrics say and they don't do anything that the rubrics don't right. say. It actually does not. At the beginning of the Mass, it does have us making the sign right. of the cross. Right. At the end, it doesn't say that we do that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So has the priest doing it? I think I think most of us do. I think most of yeah. us do. We're, we're taught to do that. <laughs> yeah. But if you're if you're interested in those little details, it's actually not in there. Uh, for I, that fi- one. I find I, I remember I was 
<laughs> covering a basketball game one time. And this one player, before uh, he went to shoot a free throw, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, you know. And I, I instinctively, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was sitting there at the press table. <laughs> I instinctively blessed myself. Yeah. It was just, it was that uh, just seeing some, seeing the the sign of the cross. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I see. I think more signs of the cross done at soccer games than at mass. Soccer. So, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Big time in yeah. soccer. Yeah. Once in a while, a field goal kicker in in football, but soccer all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially before a penalty kick. There you go. Right. <laughs> and the right. goalie too. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. And then. Uh, yeah. Wow, we're we're almost we are almost out the we're door. We're almost here. at the end, but yeah. you hear things uh, take a little different turn now. If if the bishop is saying mass, if you have what's called a pontifical mass, then instead of um, you know the Lord be with you and with your spirit, um, uh, or actually maybe it's after that. Yeah, no, it, it still includes the Lord be with you. But then the bishop uh, would say, "Blessed be the name of the Lord." Mm-hmm. And if you're at the cathedral, they'll all know to say now and forever. And then mm-hmm. he says, our help is in the name of the Lord. Uh, and then who made heaven and earth is the response. And then may almighty God bless you. So it's a little bit different there. And if uh, if this is at your parish and he's using the pontifical blessing, then you're, right, everybody sure. hopes that we've got some people from the cathedral there who know these responses because most people don't yeah. necessarily know them. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, and after that comes the... Uh, dismissal, mm-hmm. right? And the dismissal is uh, an interesting thing for, at least in uh, in English, I don't know other languages, but in English we call this liturgy the Mass. And the place that that comes from is, and I'll go back to my favorite Latin scholar here, Bob Dunning, what, what are the last words of the Mass? Ite misa est. There you go. Yeah. Ite, and, and ite misa est translates to? Go, the Mass is ended. Well, sort of, sort of. It doesn't really have the word "ended." Oh, in that's it. true. We're saying it at the ending. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But it's uh, it's more like "go." Go. It is sent. Yes. You yeah. know, we go back to that toboggan yeah. run, the the launching uh, that's yeah. that's happening here. This is the this is the wow. this is kind of the like the starting gun. Of, yeah, yeah. Of, of yeah, the next go phase out in the world now. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Go so forth. we and we don't we don't say. The, the dismissal's quite that way. We have different right. options, but it's uh, they all say go. Yeah. In all of them, there's a command yeah. to vacate the church and do something else, which would be uh, the living the rest of the Christian life. In fact, um, there, there's a place where it uh, in the in the general instruction of the Roman Missal it tells uh, why why they're dismissed. So. The dismissal, this is in number 90 for folks who like to look these things up, the dismissal of the people by the deacon or the priest, uh, and, it, and then it goes on, that it happens, so that each may go back to doing good works, praising and blessing God. So that's what this, this uh, shoot takes us to as we are sent out of the church, Very doing good, good works, praising and blessing God. I like to think of it. You know, the slingshot, and they're pooming us out. Exactly, out the, out exactly, the door yeah. Out into the world. Right. Another metaphor could be the tide, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the life sure. of the church, in the life of a Christian. there There is a, kind of like Ecclesiastes, you know, a time for flowing out mm-hmm. and a time for flowing back, a right. time for going out to right. uh, do this, do good works, praising and blessing God, and a time to reassemble as the whole mm-hmm. community to do so as the body of Christ in 
in a, in a beautiful uh, unity together, a, a time to go out uh, carrying uh, uh, Christ's, you know, to, to, to make to sacrifice our own selves right. as we uh, serve other people, and a time to come back and join together with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ yeah. um, for for the good of the world, a, a, a time where we serve in ways that aren't going to feel necessarily as poignant as right. a liturgy. Right. Um, but maybe uh, equally poignant in what we're, you know, we are bringing it, the presence of Christ wherever we go. Exactly. And then a time to come back and have that occur visibly together uh, in, in, the, in, in this liturgy that links us to the, to the heavenly liturgy and to, and to all eternity. So wow. that, that's, a, that's the flow there. So this is, this is that inflection point where, boom, off, off we oh, go goodness. again. And there will come again that time where we are, are called back. Uh, together by the church bells or, or whatever it is to to regather and take on that the form of the community, the body of Christ in the future. Well, I, I can't tell you what a joy it's, it is to have you here and uh, to learn all this, and uh, I'm sure a joy for our listeners as well. So thanks, thanks so much, Deacon, and uh, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again one day, one day soon. I hope. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thanks so much. Thank you. Um, and God bless everyone. And uh, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, for today, uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. To the cross I look, and to the cross I cling. Of its suffering I do drink. Of its work I do sing. On it must save you Both bruised and crushed Showing that God is love And God is just At the cross you beckon me You draw me chair I'm reconciled